So today is uh, what the world calls, or at least here in our part of the world, we call Valentine's Day, which is a celebration of romantic love. And we heard in this passage just describe not romantic love, but a, a deeper, truer type of love. Yet we, we said today is a day where we focus on the romantic side of love. And I, Jules Renard has a great quote uh, that kind of made me chuckle a little bit. He said, love is an hourglass with the heart filling up as the brain empties. And that really is a great description of romantic love or falling into love. And uh, whereas the world celebrates that today, we think about that, you know, and you just start to lose all your, all your rational thought and it all goes to the heart. So in psychology, uh, they actually have identified some different stages of love or stages of relationship, romantic relationships. And the three stages of relationships look like this. There's, first of all, there's romantic love or falling into love. That's the romantic part of love. And that lasts two to three years on, on average for people. And then number two is falling out of romantic. It's not falling out of love, but it's falling out of the romantic love. This is where the brain starts to fill back up and the heart and the brain are more balanced in the relationship. And so you fall out of romantic love and this can become a very challenging time in a relationship. And then number three is true love. This actually kicks in about one to two years after falling out of romantic love. So really we're looking at about a five-year window uh, for the relationship to go through, to go from romantic love and dependency upon romantic love to what would be a truer or deeper form of love in the relationship. And so the, the brain is just, what's happening is the brain's filling back up. And this is often why people joke around about marriage being boring or, or the romance fading. And you'll see a lot of jokes about this. Yet people who stay married and are committed to their marriages and to their relationships will find a better quality relationship and actually a deeper, truer form of love that says, I love you and I'm, and I'm not going to give up on you and I'm committed to you. And that's really what the type of love being described here in this passage is about. You know, my, uh, I have two daughters, Lauren, uh, Rachel's my oldest, Lauren's my youngest daughter, and both of them have met young men and uh, our daughter Rachel was married last June. Our daughter Lauren is about to be married in April of this year. And so one of the things that our daughters knew that, uh, that if any guy uh, wanted to marry them, they needed to go talk to their dad first. They kind of let the guys know this. I never said anything to them. But so on both occasions, I've talked to both of these young men have come to me and uh, to talk with me and ask for our blessing, my wife and I, our blessing, Heather and I's blessing for their relationship. And uh, this is actually a good practice because we as a married couple who've been married longer, we know that every, we've gone through those stages of relationship. And so we're looking at the relationship a little bit more objectively. They're, they're in romantic love with one another, right? And we want them to move to true love. We want them to have that true love and deeper love that we've experienced in our marriage, in their marriage. And so one of the things as these young men came and nervously came and asked for our blessing uh, is that I asked each of them before they would propose to one of our daughters that they would memorize 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 13, particularly four, verses 4 through 8. And uh, I've encouraged them to do that. And then after they memorize that, then uh, to go ahead and then uh, propose to our daughters because we we want this to be in their relationship. We want them to understand that this is the type of love 
that marriage invites us to and calls us to. It's also this type of love that is for all relationships and not just romantic relationships or marriage relationships, but even community-based relationships and church relationships and so forth. And so this 1 Corinthians passage that we're looking at today is really about describing what is actually to be the cardinal virtue or the overarching ethic of all relationships. It's interesting because Paul writes this letter to the Corinthian church. This is actually describing love, how church members are to relate to one another, how they're to love one another. It really, Paul was, may not have even had romantic relationships in mind when he wrote this. He had actually been talking to the church about using gifts and spiritual gifts in the body of Christ and then said, you know, not to choose one gift over the other and to love one another. And this is how love becomes the overarching ethic of use of gifts, spiritual gifts in the church and relationships in the church. So we could apply this on a, several different layers here today, even though we're taking a look at maybe romantic relationships we can also apply this to community-based relationships as well. So, and again, the nature of love in community and in relationship is really a self-giving type of love. Let's uh, read again verses 7 and 8, just to put, this is where we'll focus this morning. It says, Love puts up with all things, trusts in all things, hopes for all things, endures all things. Love never fails. And so when we're talking about this all things love, so what we're, what's being described here, we're going to walk through some of these attributes. One of the things to keep in mind here is that really each of these, this ability to love this way is dependent upon God's love. It is dependent upon God's strength and God with us, working with us to love others. And so uh, this is not disconnected from God's love for us. And so we have to be grounded there and we actually have to lean on and depend upon God's love for us to enable us and strengthen us to love others. Because loving other people can be very difficult at times and hard at times. And that's part of why we're looking at this passage today, this all things love. So the first thing it says is it puts up with all things. Now if we read the, 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 the original language here, it really literally means to put a roof over or cover over or shield, which also some translations will say protects. Uh, as well. So it endures patiently with the other and it shields the imperfections or or the annoyances or the offenses uh, that sometimes uh, happens in relationships. It's it's not talking about, uh, I want to be clear here, it's not talking about harmful behavior. It's not, in fact, love would protect another from a harmful behavior or a harmful action or harmful words or toxicity. But this is talking more in the realm of offenses, you know, well, I'm offended. Well, love would just cover over that offense. Or it's, it's, I'm annoyed by you, right? And the love would cover over that annoyance. And here's a really great example of that. This is where when we may be offended at times or we may be annoyed with the other, that we would actually bite our tongue, right? We talk about biting our tongues. And so sometimes the loving thing to do in some situations is to be silent, is to bite our tongues, to not say anything, because we know if we give full vent to what we're about to say, we may end up harming the other with our words, or we may end up harmful actions. And so love protects, right? It puts up with things, and it's protecting. So it's protecting the other from harm. It's protecting the other from me giving full vent or full response to the other person. And so that's what love does. It 
it covers over. It wants to protect the other person. And so that's important in relationships, that we also, in relationship, we're looking to protect or cover over and not cause harm to the other person. So what love says no to here is, a, is harm anything that would harm the other when we're annoyed or offended by them, right? So just to be clear too here, if, we're, if a person's in an abusive, harmful relationship, love would also act there to remove that person from harm or out of harm's way. So love would protect that way as well. So we have to keep that in mind. This is really about those annoyances and offenses that we encounter in our relationships. And, no, and what we're saying no is to our response being the same way. Number two is all things, it trusts all things in all things, right? Uh, so this is about belief, that you believe in the other, right? In the, in the greater good, in the community. What you believe is that you believe the good in the other. You believe that there is good in the other, right? And also this is, again, connected to our faith and trust in God's goodness and that God is going to help us to see the good in the other, not to assume the worst in the other person. This happens constantly in relationships where we will assume the worst or the negative in another's intentions or behaviors rather than assuming the best in them. Uh, this happens all the time in our relationships. We make this mistake often. I just made it uh, recently as well in my own life, in my own uh, marriage. Um, I was, uh, one morning I got up and I was in a rush to get out of the house and I had, was looking for my hiking boots and I left my hiking boots by the fireplace to dry out and I had waterproofed them and I'd taken the laces out of them. And so I put them there by the fire to dry one night and I left them there uh, and then when I went to go somewhere, my wife had left the house. She had gone to work. And she had to go into school that day. And so we, I was looking around for my hiking boots. Now I'm already late. And so now I'm getting frustrated because I can't find my hiking boots and I need to get my hiking boots. And so I'm looking all over the house to them. Now, what do you think was going on inside of my head at this moment? Uh, what assumptions were I, was I making about my wife's behavior? What did, you know, I was blaming her for hiding my boots, right? That's the assumption that I made. Notice how, this, how easily we start to assume things about the other's intentions in the relationship. So I'm looking all over for the boots. I'm starting to blame my wife, get upset with her for moving them, right? Even though that may not have, she wasn't, her intention wasn't to, to uh, disrupt my life or cause stress for me. That wasn't what she was going for, right? She was just picking up around the house. So finally, I find them in the closet, I pull them out, but then I can't find the boot laces. I'm looking all over for the laces. Now I'm even further being late. Now I'm more stressed out. Now I'm more frustrated. And what's going on in me with those assumptions and negative assumptions about, my, about Heather, right, about my wife? And so this is going on. Finally, I, I find the boot laces. She had taken the laces and put them inside my boot, logically. Uh, and so I pull them out, and then there were problems getting them laced, and, uh, and it just spun out of control. So notice that my, Heather had done nothing wrong in this situation. Everything that, all those negative assumptions, all those critical thoughts that I was having were inside of me, not because of her. She hadn't done anything wrong. But notice that I often, that you and I often, as in our humanness, want to blame others, want to assume the worst in others' intentions, right, or others' behaviors, rather than believe the best. Love assumes the best. Love believes the best in the other, right? That's a different position. That's a different approach, right? And I also say to you that I never said anything to Heather about this incident because of number one, right? <laughs> it was just an annoyance. 
I don't need to, I don't need to complain about that. I don't need to criticize about that. And that, besides, it's nothing, it has nothing to do with her. It has everything to do with how I'm, I'm interpreting the situation. So that's really a great time to pause, right, and reflect and say, you know, is this about them or really about me? And I find that oftentimes when we're not able to do that, it's really about us, not about the other person. So love says no to assuming the worst in others, right? That's what love says no to. Uh, number three is it hopes for all things. Now, ultimately, in the church, in the church community, and in this scripture passage, our hope is in God's fulfillment of the kingdom. So our hope is in God's kingdom and kingdom come to earth, that God's kingdom would come and that we can be a part of that kingdom. So there's this ultimate hope in God's fulfillment to put everything right in the world, but we're living in a broken world, that we're living in imperfect relationships where we harm and hurt one another, right? And so we're hopeful for God's fulfillment to put everything right and to restore us to fullness, right? of how, God, how love works, and that we would all be self-giving in our love, not just some of us some of the time, right? So that's really the hope of love. Love is hopeful uh, that, that, that good and the best will be brought out in a situation, and it hopes for the God's best in a situation and in, the, in that circumstance. So here's the issue, that sometimes what happens, though, is that we can become so enamored with our expectations of the relationship or our ideals or what should be, the shoulds, that we actually become harmful to the relationship. The great example is that a quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer who said, the person who loves their dream of community will destroy community, but the person who loves those around them will create community. So, this isn't a lack of hope. This is about when we become more enamored with our idea of the, or the should of the relationship or the unrealistic expectations of the other. And we, we fall in love with that. Or this is a great place to go back to, you know, we, we were given this ideal of romantic love in our relationships by our culture. And it says, this is what it's supposed to be like, right? We get these ideals or this dream of what a, what a relationship is supposed to be like or should be like. And we fall in love with the romantic ideals of relationship. And if we do that, we'll never get to true love, right? If we hold on to that vision of romantic love, that, that when it begins to fade away and when we no longer experience it, right, what happens is we begin to step back and we may want to even get out of the relationship because the romance is gone or faded or whatever. And when we do that, we miss out on true love. Again, love will hope to get there, right? To hope to get to true love. They will hope to get to that better situation. And so we're hopeful, love is hopeful in the relationship. This also applies to communities and larger groups and churches as well. When we fall in love with our vision or dream of what the church should be versus actually loving the people in the church, which at times can be hard and difficult, we're actually not choosing self-giving love or this way of love, right? Because we get caught up in the dream or the vision or the ideal, and we miss loving the person right in front of us. And then, so love basically says no to visions and dreams and ideologies that destroy relationship, right? And says no, really, to the ideal of romantic love in choice to choose love or true love, self-giving love, in its place. So number four, the fourth thing here Paul says is it endures all things. Again, the only way to endure something, especially something difficult, is with God's help and power. Uh, this is to persevere with patience under difficult circumstances. 
to persevere with patience under difficult circumstances. And we know that relationships, whether they be group relationships or individual relationships with imperfect people, because we're all imperfect, we have to remember that all of us are imperfect. We all have flaws. We all have imperfections. We all make false assumptions or bad assumptions. That we, it can be difficult, right, to love people. It's really hard sometimes to love people. The thing that the research shows, is in particular in marriage relationships, is that some relationship studies have shown that longevity or endurance in a relationship actually improves the quality of the relationship. There was a study recently done, I believe in 2018, entitled Changes in Spousal Relationships Over the Marital Life Course by Amato and James, showed that relationships actually improve up to 20 years and past 20-year relationships. That's what it means to endure all things, right? To stay committed to a person for the long term, to patiently endure some of those things. And they find that when couples stick together, when it's difficult, remain faithful to one another and work to resolve problems and work on them and be hopeful about the relationship, right? That they actually experience long-term increase in the quality and happiness that they experience in the relationship. And this has been shown in other studies too. And so really that's a part of going back to those stages that we actually have to not give up on the relationship when we hit that spot where the romantic love has faded away, right? And it's hard now and we haven't really gotten the true love yet. And that's a one to two year period. So there's this window, right, of around five, four, three, four, five, maybe some people call it the seven year itch where this phase, your, your couple might be in this phase of this relationship and to endure through that will actually lead them to a better quality relationship. And they find that 20 plus years gets even better. So in general, that's what it takes. So love, what love's saying no to here is, is quick fixes, right? Oh, well, you know, romantic love's gone, so I'm done, right? That's not the answer that love gives when romantic love fades or when the ideals start to fade away or the, the dream starts to become more of a reality, it doesn't give up on the other person, right? And that's why it says at the end, Paul says, love never fails. And again, the reason that love never fails is because God never fails, right? So God's love for us never fails in Jesus Christ. God is committed to us. God's love for us doesn't change yesterday, today, or tomorrow. It stays the same. It stays consistent. It stays faithful to us, right? Stays committed to us. God's love for us does not change despite our imperfections, our flaws, our rejection, and God still loves us, right? This is unconditional love. This is self-giving love expressed by God in Jesus Christ to us. And that is the reason that if we love that way, right, and if we choose to depend upon God's love for us in our ability to love other people, that actually the likelihood of failure is decreased. Not always a guarantee here, right? Because we're human and we have imperfections. But God's love never fails. And if the more we can embrace God's love, the less likely we are to fail in our relationships and our responses to people. So really the big no here, the big no that love says is, no, I won't give up on you. No, I won't give up on you when it's hard, when it's difficult. I'm going to choose love. I'm going to choose to love this other person, even though it's hard. And so that's part of what love does, right? Or the description that Paul gives all, not just to romantic relationships, but to all relationships and to community-based relationships and to church relationships as well. One of the things uh, 
as I was thinking about this, I turned back to a book that was given to me when I first came to First Free Church. It was written by Rick Reynolds. It's called Street Stories. Rick is the executive director of Operation Night Watch, and he works with the homeless population here in the city of Seattle. And um, he tells stories here in the book, and uh, one of the stories that, that he shares in here I want to share with you, because I think it's a great description of what love does. Uh, so he talks here in the book about a homeless gentleman named Ronnie, who was, it was ho- homeless, smelly, loud, boisterous guy that would come into Operation Night Watch for shelter. And uh, he would be very loud and vocal and annoying at times, I'm sure, in his behavior. And so Pastor Rick decided instead of yelling back at him, responding with more yelling back, right, which is easy for us to do, he decided to whisper to Ronnie. And so he said, you know, he would whisk, start whispering to Ronnie. He, said, he would say, Ronnie, you, you can't talk that way here, right? And then Ronnie would whisper back, okay, right? Because he was getting it, right? He was, he was getting a different response from Ronnie because he was changing how he was responding to Ronnie, which is something that love does, right? Everybody else is responding to Ronnie one way. Pastor Rick said, I'm going to respond to Ronnie differently. But he talks about one memorable night where Ronnie shows up, he comes to the shelter, and he stands in the middle of the room, and he says out loud, hey, Pastor Rick, ain't I beautiful? <laughs> ain't I beautiful? And then everybody was looking at Pastor Rick and saying, Rick, what are you gonna, how are you going to respond to Ronnie tonight? What, what are you going to say to Ronnie? And Pastor Rick said, sure, Ronnie, you're beautiful. But on the inside, Rick's thinking, yeah, he's the real image of God here, right? then Ronnie says to Pastor Rick, then hug me. Now, (laughs) this is a real test of love, isn't it? This guy smells, he's boisterous. And actually, I'm going to read to you what Pastor Rick wrote. He said, I recoiled inwardly, not wanting to get close to this smelly guy. I tried to get next to him to give him one of those friendly used car salesman hugs around one shoulder, But he turned toward me and threw his arms around me in a huge bear hug. His six foot two inch body bending down over me, his rough cheek pressed up against mine, the smell of cheap booze and smoke and body odor wafting over me. And then he kissed me on the cheek. (laughs) Pastor Rick says, That's a God moment. Who is expressing love? Right? Who was responding in love? Well, both of them were, right? But notice that Pastor Rick was honest enough to say, you know, it was really hard for me to love Ronnie. But when I did, it was a God moment. God was at work, right? And that's what we need. We need God moments in all our relationships. And that will require us to not give up sometimes, not give up on another person sometimes, and find ways to love them even when it's hard. Because that's exactly how God loves us. It's not always easy to love me. It's probably not always easy to love you or others. And yet God does. And that's good news. Let's pray together.